Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Future Cities podcast. I'm Jason Sauer, a PhD student at Arizona State University and one of the infrequent hosts of the show. Uh, One of the aspects of the research that I do is especially focused on assessing the vulnerability of communities and cities and planning strategies for increasing the resilience of those communities to extreme weather events and climate change. Uh, Recently, though, political events have brought to my attention that my my job might be getting a lot more difficult. In particular, on March 20th of this year, 2018, U.S. Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross declared that this administration would be bringing a controversial question back to the American Community Survey, a.k.a. the census, which we compile every 10 years. The specific language of the question has not yet been released, But essentially, if you receive a census questionnaire in the mail, or if a census taker comes to your door, you may be asked something like the following. Are you a legal resident of the United States? The structure of this question implies the existence of two groups of United States residents, legal and illegal. However, groups sympathetic to or advocating for people not in the United States legally have reframed the binary as being documented or undocumented residents or immigrants. Um, because of the complex implications and stigma that one can experience or feel at being labeled an illegal person. You may see the terms illegal immigrants or undocumented immigrants or some variation of this term, of this idea in news items, but they essentially refer to the same group of people, though you may be able to infer the reporter's bias depending on which term they use. The question over legal or undocumented residents in the United States actually used to be on the United States Census, but was taken off in 1950 for reasons that I'm going to leave to historians. Uh, But the modern history is that the Department of Justice under Attorney General Jeff Sessions uh, pushed for the re-inclusion of the question so that they could better enforce the Voting Rights Act. And this is the claim, anyway. However, obviously, many dispute Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross's claims that the question would not be an imposition. KJZZ, which is the NPR member station for the Phoenix metro area, interviewed two undocumented immigrants who themselves were split about what they would do if asked to answer the census. One was concerned about raids and government attention and said that they would not fill it out. And the other said that though they were concerned, they would still respond to it so that their community and their child would receive government representation and monetary support. In a New York Times article on the subject, Ali Nurani, executive director of the National Immigration Forum, asserted that the immigrant community would think twice about responding, citing fears that the government would use this information to target them or their communities for deportation. Uh, Immigrant rights advocates also have asserted that the re-inclusion of the legal status question, coupled with recent government abuses like the illegal family separations at the border, uh, are meant to intimidate undocumented immigrants into not participating in the census. Cesar Morio, an undocumented immigrant construction worker interviewed by the New York Times, said that he believes that no parent in his neighborhood responds to any census form or answer the door to a government agent claiming to represent the U.S. Census. So bringing it back to my own research, the potential for a legal status question on the 2020 census to cause a decrease in the response rate of undocumented community members uh, presents a real serious complication to the primary way researchers like myself uh, assess and contend with community vulnerability to extreme weather events and climate change. 
So undocumented community members may exhibit many sociodemographic factors that vulnerability researchers have demonstrated make them much more vulnerable to extreme weather events in comparison to the documented community. Uh, for example, they tend to have lower incomes, they tend to have jobs that are centered around manual and outside labor, they tend to be renters who have limited ability to adapt their homes to deal with extreme weather events, and they often contend with linguistic isolation, among other cofactors. Vulnerability researchers like myself basically tally these cofactors uh, which show up in the census to determine the relative vulnerability of communities. So communities with large undocumented member populations likely also have high vulnerability tallies, uh, which would allow for researchers to identify them as being relatively vulnerable compared to neighboring communities with more documented populations. Researchers like myself might actually then approach these communities with high vulnerability tallies uh, with various measures to reduce their vulnerability. Um, for example, with like risk education and preparedness workshops, infrastructure installation, food and income subsidies, or inclusion in formal development forums. However, if in 2020 the ratio of undocumented to documented respondents in a community decreases compared to the 2010 ratio, the community would be tallied as being more resilient than it really is. The census would then not accurately reflect the relative vulnerability of communities, uh, leaving out the most vulnerable communities from critical vulnerability reduction or resilience uh, measures. It is incredibly unfortunate that we may lose the ability to do this sort of research using the census. Uh, however, the documented and undocumented communities in Phoenix and elsewhere in the United States are making their problems and their needs known and are even winning some victories that are making them more resilient. So for this episode, I interviewed Masavi Barea, who works for Chispa here in Phoenix, and we talked about his own history in moving to the United States as an undocumented person, uh, the plight of the undocumented community, and his own work with Chispa. Enjoy. Yeah, hi. Um, I'm, my name is Masavi Perea. I'm uh, originally from Chihuahua, Mexico. I came to the States back in 90, 1995. I, I, I was a construction worker and then I was an organizer and uh, now I work for Chispa, Arizona. My position is the organizing director. Uh, yeah, so tell me about your own background here in Phoenix and your arriving in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, um, so I arrived uh, to the U.S. In, back in 1995, and uh, that was when uh, NAFTA just happened. Mm -hmm. So back then, where, where, I, where I'm from, Chihuahua, Mexico, um, that was a, a, used to be a lot of work. There were a lot of um, what is called maquiladoras, or, uh, uh, and um, mostly were like... Uh, U.S. companies, so and um, so it was it was kind of decent work over there, a lot of construction, but then when NAFTA happened, uh, it was a, a big depre depreciation came to the to the to the area. I think I remember back then uh, the dollar, the American dollar used to cost three thousand pesos, three thousand pesos, but then after NAFTA passed. The dollar went from three thousand pesos to six thousand pesos. Yeah, wow. So the inflation went almost a hundred percent. So yeah. what you used to, you know, with what you used to have your salary, you used to like kind of live decent, and then after that, it was like everything went to hundred yeah. percent double. So then construction and all other um, things stop, and that's when uh, I think it was a, a wave of 
northern Mexican or Mexican people, uh, we came like early 90s or mid, mid 90s. So that's when I came and then I arrived to Phoenix and um, Phoenix back then it was a lot of construction and it was no issue to, to, to find a job. So that's, that's when I, uh, when I start and then later I, I had the opportunity to fix my immigration status. And then uh, was that through a formal amnesty program that was no the amnesty or? the amnesty was like back in the eighties okay so that that was through through another process okay and um, yes that that absolutely that changed my life but also that changed the way how I used to see things right because sure. when when you're undocumented you just wanna be hiding right you know <laughs> to to keep the the most low profile that you can. Right, no complaints at work, don't complain at the community, yeah. no no communication with the police, no communication. So that's where a lot of misconceptions happen, and um, that's one of the reasons like so many parents don't get involved in the schools or don't get involved in, in, in just the community sure. in general, right? So, so because of that, um, a lot of abuses happen um, at work, at the community, at uh, people who rent houses, apartments, mm -hmm. right? So, so people just, just as I say, just wanna be low profile. They don't wanna, they don't wanna ask anything to the government because they have this relationship. This in their, in our mind, in their mind, we have this relationship like government equal to immigration. For sure, right? Right. Or, or and then, and then, but because. That's something very interesting. Back in the nineties, uh, uh, the sheriff, even though he was around your pile, he was an asshole back then too. But he was not like uh, profiling a lot. Sure. You know, I remember it was it was a, a time when uh, the taqueros were targeting, were, were were a target, and then they they got organized and that they controlled the, the situation. But then later, when um, I mean, suddenly to tap bad about immigrants it was like a political weapon yeah. you know so so if you mm -hmm. if anyone who wants to run for a pos, uh, elected a position they, they just start talking crap about that uh, immigrants and then they were you know making famous sure so that's when sheriff joe started with uh, all the, the the pushback to to the latino community and immigrant community so then that's that's the community uh, they they protect themselves and we protect ourselves and then we we start hiding the most you know sure. so it was it was no relationship between all this stuff so so a lot of people um was not asking for anything for like uh for any uh help from the government sure and then also something that happened i think it was like early 2000s it was the something it was called proposition 200 Okay. The that proposition two hundred wanna what they wanna do is they wanna if someone who without a status, uh, it will be a felony or something like that if they ask for government help. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was like early two thousands, I think. And then um, so that was it. Just to like uh, so. Let me just uh, get some more details on that. So it would be like you are requesting formal government assistance under some established program, 
and then the government made it a felony for you to actually apply for it, as opposed to previously where they might have gone through and just rejected you for not having. Yeah, and, and and we are talking uh, okay. and, and we are talking about basic basic stuff like sure. like going to a library. Oh wow! You know that level it was <laughs> the, the proposition, and and the and the, the, the saddest part is the the proposition passed. Yeah, you know. And uh, I, it was back then that Governor uh, uh, Napolitano, she was a Democrat, and, and, mm -hmm. and she was against the proposition. Mm -hmm. I remember even Joe McCain was against the proposition. Really? So I'm going to break out of the interview for a second here, because what Masabi talked about uh, was a total shock to me. Uh, specifically, what he is referring to is Arizona Proposition 200, which is passed in 2004, and it's also known as the Arizona Taxpayer and Citizen Protection Act. Um, which was originally a bill that was like basically a voter ID law where people had to provide proof of citizenship uh, along with photo identification before receiving a ballot at a polling place. However, this prop also made it a misdemeanor for public officials to tell, or I'm sorry, to fail to report violations of U.S. immigration law by applicants for those public benefits, which is what Masavi is getting at when he's talking about potentially being charged uh, for simply applying for a basic service like a library card. And to be clear, it is a misdemeanor, not a felony, but still, this is obviously an act that is designed to sort of stoke fear uh, within the undocumented community. Anyway, now back to the rest of the interview. So, but um, for some reason, uh, People, uh, what is called now the new majority, they, they mm -hmm. were not, uh, the, the new American majority, they were not voting. Sure. You know, so, so it was easy to pass. So, so that law, that proposition become, become law. And then, um, a, but the court, I think, stopped the, the law because it was very unconstitutional. Sure. Like, it, it was something stupid. Like, uh, even though, like, if you got, like, uh, an emergency room, the doctors or nurses, they, they, they need to report right, to sure. the person, you know, if they were undocumented. So, you know, so that with that happening, sure. so people, the community, we stay, you know, super low profile. Mm -hmm. And then and then later um, when uh, the construction, the, the construction industry stopped uh, is getting slow and, and then the, the economy got slow. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they. They they were trying to 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 blame someone and they blame the Latino community, sure. right? So, yeah. all this all this happened, and then later uh, came the 2010, the, the fame, infamous to, uh, SB 1070. Hey, I'm gonna break in here again just to briefly talk about SB 1070. So to be clear, this is Arizona SB 1070, uh, which is also referred to as the Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act. It's passed in 2010. Most broadly speaking, and to take the least political lens about this, it is sort of a really strict anti-illegal immigration measure. Uh, what it actually did was to require, uh, and I'm reading from the Wikipedia page here, aliens older than 18 years old to possess proper identification at all times and to make a violation of this requirement of carrying identification a federal misdemeanor crime. This also made it so that state law enforcement officers must attempt to determine an individual's immigration status during a, quote, lawful stop, detention, or arrest when there is, quote, reasonable suspicion that the individual is an illegal immigrant. 
So this opinion is not necessarily shared by the other members of the podcast because I have not run it by them, and this is a solo episode, but because it's a solo episode, allow me to say that Arizona SB 1070 is the legal sanctioning of racial discrimination, uh, and it is absolutely heinous. Uh, If you look at the title of the bill, it is the Support Our Law Enforcement and Safe Neighborhoods Act, and if you compare that to what the bill actually does, which is press uh, states law enforcement officers to demand proof of legal status uh, by mostly the Latino community within the United States, Uh, I I do not think there is any reconciling uh, the two. What safe neighborhoods or supporting law enforcement has to do with harassing Latinos is uh, anyone's guess. Uh, It's a very clearly racially motivated bill. There's been a lot of pushback within Arizona. Um, and also in states across the country which have adopted similar bills. Going back toward more of the research lens or the resilience and vulnerability sort of lens for this, uh, and thinking about Proposition 200 along with a lot of other uh, bills in Arizona and that are at the federal level that Masavi talks about in this interview, uh, you can sort of see a suite of formal legislation and formal law enforcement practices that would discourage members of the Latino community in general, but especially the undocumented community from pushing for uh, the use uh, or access to government resources that would uh, better their daily lives or better their chances of uh, recovering from an extreme weather event or uh, coping with climate change. Anyway, so back to the interview with Masabi. So that was um, attack to attack to attack, you mm-hmm. know. So, so our community, they are always like, as I said, they were trying to survive. So, people, they were not not interested in in asking for money or or anything like that, mm-hmm. you know. They they were interested to to survive. Right. So, so with having said all that, uh, while all this construction was happening, a lot of people um, got hurt in, in sure. their accidents, yeah. you know, because construction was so crazy yeah. that um, that they need so many so much people right so and people, just the outdoor conditions here yeah I mean, and construction's and, dangerous on its own but outdoor conditions here in phoenix especially can potentially exacerbate that yeah I, and that's that's another issue because companies they didn't care about their workers you know so they just went like work work like, mm-hmm. like whatever field was mm-hmm. so the all these all these new people who came to the states who probably were farm workers or other type of, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, work that they used to do. Uh, now they were working on the construction. So, so they didn't get training. They, they didn't understand the rules. They didn't sure. understand the, the, the OSHA mm-hmm. rules, mm-hmm. you know, their benefits. So I remember I used to see, uh, back then I was, I was working as a roofer, and I used to see a lot of people who got hurt. Sure. You know, and, and not only as an accident, but like, uh, um, how they call it, um, heat strokes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because yeah, the the even though in Mexico is is hot, but I mean it's different when you're in the desert. Yeah. And then it's different when you are working, yeah. and it's different when they are not providing you water, yeah. shade. You know all right. these safety issues. <clears throat> so, so people um, continue working, and and yeah, right. We we are resilient, and we we do whatever we need to do, but um, people didn't understand that uh, all these things that they were happening were. They were they were not supposed to happen. Yeah, right. you know, and um, mm-hmm. that's uh, when people uh, later uh, the unions 
I remember like back in like early 2000, the union welcomed the, the immigrants mm -hmm. and then they start organizing uh, with uh, different uh, fields on the construction, mm -hmm. on the service. So that put uh, Phoenix in, in another perspective. You now work at uh, Chispa here mm -hmm. in Phoenix and can you say a little bit about uh, what Chispa is concerned with or what you do as part of Chispa? Yes, absolutely. Chispa is a part of the League of Conservation Borders, mm -hmm. but Chispa is, it was a program uh, focusing in environmental justice. So we are an environmental justice advocacy group mm -hmm. focused on minorities and the minorities that are in Arizona, in this part of Arizona, are Latinos, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, now uh, Chispa has become in, became in something else. Now we we, folk, we are a non-profit organization, C3, C4, you know, but, but my work as a organizing director, my work is to um, work with the Latino community, empower mm -hmm. the community, the community, the Latino community, and, and engage them in, in the pol uh, politic process, mm -hmm. you know, and we need to start from something super basic, like if you didn't go to the school in the United States, mm -hmm. you don't know anything about the constitution. Sure. You don't know much about the history, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where we start. Uh, sure. So we as a, as, a, as a people living in the United States, just as a people living in the United States, we have rights. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's part of the process. We learn about the constitution. And then um, and that's a process called promotores. Okay. Yeah. All right. So the promoters they learn about their, their rights, and then later they they also learn about uh, the history, mm -hmm. how how in the past there have been many other groups who have been uh, fighting for uh, environmental justice and, mm -hmm. and justice in general. Sure. You know, we talk about Martin Luther King, Cesar Chavez, yeah. uh, even the indigenous groups. Know how they have been, yeah. you know, struggling. So and and we have a lot to, to learn from them. So, and then after that, we, we teach them about how to organize, mm -hmm. how to talk to other people, how to, because the, the way how Chispa works is uh, we don't, we try not to bring the people to, to us, we mm -hmm. go to where the people is, so to the neighborhoods. Sure. So, and, and that's part of, the, uh, of, the, of the, the process. And right now we have over 100 promotores, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. uh, every three months we have a promotores training when we bring new people, and uh, and we focus in in general in the community. Like we have high school students, college students, moms, dads, you know, and everybody is welcome in Chispa. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about environmental justice uh, concerns, uh, what are some of the ones that you're working with currently or have worked with in the past as part of Chispa? Well, something super related in, for the the area where we live is of course the heat. Mm -hmm. You know. But the heat is, is it can be so so proud, right? And sure. and something else that we learn from the, the Phoenix or Maricopa area is that uh, the the air quality is so bad. Yeah. Um, national level, they they range or they evaluate all the the, the air qualities, mm -hmm. and Maricopa got an F. Yeah. So, having mm -hmm. said that, um, the areas where we where we where the Latino community and the African American community live. Is uh, are the areas with the most polluted areas, mm -hmm. right? So that brings us a lot of a lot of problems. And one of the problems that uh, we have seen is the asthma, the mm -hmm. high levels of, of asthma. Sure. We learned that a uh, national level, fourteen percent of the Latino and African American kids have asthma. Fourteen percent, which wow. is which is bad. But what we learn also in the area is that in areas like South Phoenix and West Phoenix, 
that rate goes to 40%. 40% of Latino and African-American kids have asthma in these areas. So that is shocking, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, and um, that's where we are working, educating about uh, that it's not normal that, we, that, that yeah. our kids have asthma, it's not normal that our kids have uh, allergies, it's not normal, yeah. you know, and, um, and a lot of people don't, don't, don't realize that. So that's part of the, of, of, the, of the situation. And one of the also issues that we have found is that as schools, the way how they transport kids using uh, the, uh, school buses run by diesel. Mm -hmm. You know, the, many of these uh, buses are old. Mm -hmm. You know, it, even some, they don't have uh, AC. Oh, wow. So, and um, yeah, <laughs> so that's, that's very shocking. And uh, what we learned is also like the way how they uh, uh, park and, 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 and keep the, all the buses together is like a super uh, different than other areas of the of the city. Mm -hmm. Like in areas of Phoenix, West Phoenix, they park uh, the, the, the school buses like next to the communities, mm -hmm. you know? So so a diesel bus, in order to, to run the bus, you need to preheat that, that bus about 15, 20 minutes, sure. right? So can you imagine like 50, 80 buses on the same area next to houses, neighborhoods, mm -hmm. right. you know? So that brings the, the pollution to, to another level. Sure. So that's that's what we do, and right now uh, working on on this campaign and uh, this campaign that is called uh, Clean Buses for Healthy Niños. Mm -hmm. So uh, and uh, we we get engaged with the with the community with moms and parents. The the episode is more broadly about the changes to the twenty twenty census, adding a question about um, documentation status, uh, and so there have been uh, various publications about this regarding how the Latino community is likely to respond. Um, obviously, uh, there is a lot of concern that it's going to potentially depress the rates of responses because people who were previously undocumented um, could fill out the survey without identifying themselves as being undocumented. Uh, but in the current uh, climates with ICE raids and, uh, the president. yeah, and the, and the current president, there's, um, a lot of people reporting or advocacy groups reporting that, um, the Latino community is a little concerned about putting their name basically on a government list attached to, uh, a sort of <coughs> note that they are undocumented. I was wondering if you had any, uh, personal opinions or I guess, um, discussion about this, uh, with anyone <coughs> in the community here in Phoenix. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I heard something about that, about Census 2020, mm -hmm. and um, you know, uh, that's very interesting, and in, that happens only here in, the, well, I don't know if it's only here in the United States, right, but um, mm -hmm. that word citizen, you know, it, it looks like a, a very harm, harmless word, and my understanding that the roots of the cities, of the word citizen comes from, from, from Rome and, and the Greeks, right who means people who who got involved in into their city or something yeah. like that you yeah, know? yeah so but here citizen means a lot mm -hmm. you know and and everything starts or i don't know if it starts there but a person who who came who, who said that is a an american citizen and is not mm -hmm. you know that person can lose um their immigration opportunity for their life they can be punished for sure. life you know so so Citizen is a very dangerous world work mm -hmm. in uh, in indoor community. Mm -hmm. That's one. So if they start asking like is if you are citizen or what's your status, um 
people are gonna are, are just gonna block and they are not gonna participate sure. for 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 other reasons too because we have a big number of uh, permanent residents who are people with their green cards mm -hmm. right but they are not citizens so they cannot claim themselves sure. as a citizen okay. so they are one they probably those people they are not gonna answer that mm -hmm. and And I think that that's that's a, a very a good number. But the other is we have a of course we have people who has been in the United States thirty, twenty five, twenty years, right? Mm -hmm. Without documentation, and and of course they have they we have kids, right? Mm -hmm. And if they those kids are not gonna be counted, right. you know, <clears throat> and uh, uh, and not because the kids don't want to, but because the parents in order to protect themselves they they are not gonna say anything. Sure. So, yeah, I think that the, the purpose of this census 2020 is uh, um, is very evil and uh, it's going to affect a lot to, to our community and uh, it's, it's not going to give us a real picture of um, who we are. Sure. You know, so so I think, yeah, that's it's going to be it's going to be bad for us. Yes, yeah, so the episode is broadly about uh the sort of exclusion of the undocumented community um, in Phoenix, but also nationwide from various uh, federal programs. Um, like, for example, uh, if communities like in, in Houston or in coastal areas that get flooded, um, individuals who have like houses that have been damaged cannot apply for federal funds basically to uh, repair those houses. Um, because they lack the, the proper status for it. And I was wondering if there are programs here in Phoenix in particular, perhaps, that uh, would be particularly useful for the community, but they are excluded from actually um, being able to... Yeah, well, it. my understanding is that a FEMA is not doing very good. And, yeah. uh, and, and my understanding is that, that there is no... There is no programs for people without a status. Mm -hmm. So people without a status is they are or we are in uh, in the limbo. Mm -hmm. You know, they, there is no way to. So they can, sometimes they get some help from the the consulates, but it's, it's not that much. And, oh, interesting. Okay. You know, but and and that's and, and that's, mm -hmm. that's that's interesting. But let me let me give you another example of something that I'm really worried mm -hmm. is like. As I say, NAFTA happened on the night in on the nineties. Yeah. Right. So a bunch of people we came and right now they said that we are about eleven or twelve millions of undocumented people, mm -hmm. right? So people who came on the nineties, they were twenties, thirties, on their twenties, thirties. So 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 it's almost thirty years ago. Sure. So if these people hasn't uh, uh, fixed their, their immigration status, they are 40, 50, 60 now, sure. and they are getting get it to get retired. But because they, they don't have the status, they are right. not going to be able to get Social Security. They are not going to get able to get Medicare. You know, so, so that's going to be a crisis that, that's going to be hap start happening soon. Sure. You know, and, and, and they are not going to be able to go back to their places because, I mean, yeah. over there, the discrimination, once you are over 40, oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's bad. You know, and, and, and I mean, Mexico or uh, Salvador, Guatemala, mm -hmm. they are beautiful countries. Mm -hmm. But the corruption, the level of the corruption that are there are very scary. Mm -hmm. So there is, that, there is one reason why we are here, right? right? So we don't want to go back. <laughs> right. You know, even, even I mean, we, we want to go back as a tourist or, or whatever. And, 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 you know, and we love our own countries. But 
the situation is still bad. Sure. You know, we have a little hope with a new president in Mexico, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, but I mean, we know that uh, the, the corruption levels are in... And then with all this uh, violence and narco culture that sure. is now, you know, so... So, so I'm I'm more worried about about that that uh, our people, you know, after working in construction for 20 years, they're yeah. gonna start getting sick, yeah, yeah. you know. And and going back to the the heat related uh, sickness, mm -hmm. you know, working on the field uh, as a farm worker, as a construction worker for 20 years, your body is not the same. Yeah, you know. And uh, I think that, that can be a, a a very big issue. And and I don't see nobody doing anything. On that regard, it's terrible in in the ways where uh, the undocumented community is here. They're contributing to uh, construction and farming and the general well-being of the country. And taxes are paid, even if they're not the the formal income taxes. Yes. Uh, but still, you don't reap any of the benefits that uh, natural American citizens do during that retirement phase. And and that and that is in both countries, like in, yeah. in like in Mexico. Uh, I think that the, the biggest income in Mexico, I think that's the oil. Mm -hmm. And the second is the money that we send people that we are here. Oh, yeah, remittances. Yeah, the remittances, mm -hmm. you know. So, but the, the Mexican government is not giving credit to all these people, you know. So something needs to happen on the, on, 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 on the knee. It has to happen soon, you know, because uh, we are supporting our families back then yeah you know but no one is doing anything and it, like if you go in phoenix uh, if you just go and see all these beautiful um, neighborhoods mm -hmm. you know those were made by undocumented people sure you know if you go to las vegas and see those beautiful hotels yeah, yeah, those yeah. beautiful gardens you know if you if you go california or yeah. washington uh, oregon yeah. and you see all those beautiful fields full of uh, fruits and those are made by undocumented people, and, and, and yes, they, there is no credit for that, and mm -hmm. um, I don't know what's going to happen with all these people once they, they get their, you know, their So that was the end of the interview. Thanks again to Masavi Barea for sitting down with me and chatting about the work that uh, he does with Chispa, his own background, and the potential concerns that he has uh, for the undocumented community here in Phoenix and uh, the broader United States. Again, these are statements and views that aren't necessarily embraced by the research network, uh, but it, it is my own view that we are absolutely failing the undocumented community here within the United States. And choosing even the words uh, for how to describe the community is sort of a political statement. Uh, I personally opt for uh, undocumented community members, which is, of course, a bit wordy, but uh, it emphasizes the fact that these people are here in our communities. Uh, we benefit from them. There are interactions between us, even though they may not be so evident on the surface, uh, and we all benefit from... Uh, their presence here. So this interview was recorded before Trump's recent comments that he is considering issuing an executive order to end the birthright citizenship guaranteed under the 14th Amendment to the children of undocumented immigrants. Uh, and I will not say that it is going to become more important now than ever to address the needs of the undocumented community, 
because of course it has always been important and we as researchers uh, and as documented community members and particularly white documented community members uh, have long failed to meet the needs of the undocumented community. However, this does add another barrier to advocacy if the executive order goes through. Uh, particularly, um, currently the children of undocumented immigrants are organizing on behalf of their parents um, who are reasonably afraid to do so on their own behalves. Um, and if we put fear in the children too, because we have taken away their documented status, and if they no longer advocate as a result, then there is going to be a major advocacy gap and um, the voices of these undocumented community members are not going to be heard along with the needs um, that they were voicing. If we put fear in children too, and if they no longer advocate as a result, uh, then there may be an increased utility of the voices and advocacy of those uh, from outside of the community, like myself and like other researchers who are in my field. Um, otherwise, we are going to likely see a deepening of environmental injustice in addition to the expansion of the humanitarian justices that we are already inflicting on the undocumented community. So, heavy stuff, uh, but thank you so much again for listening to the Future Cities podcast. Uh, we have episodes out every month where we talk about aspects of urban development and resilience to extreme weather events and climate change. I'm Jason Sauer. Uh, have a great November. The Future Cities Podcast is an outreach effort brought to you by the Urban Resilience to Extremes Sustainability Research Network, or UREX as we usually refer to it. To learn more about UREX, visit www.sustainability.asu.edu forward slash urban resilience. If you have any questions, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at futurecitiespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at futurecitiespod. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.